Welcome back to the Doctor Who Flashcast. It's been a long time, and uh, our we're like an official podcast now or something. I am Jason Snell. Every week I talk about the latest Doctor Who episode with uh, a friend or two. My friend this week is James Thompson. You're my friend every week, but this week you're also on the <laughs> Doctor Who Flashcast. Hello. Hello. Oh, you wait nearly a year for new Doctor Who, and then it feels like all the episodes come along at once. Mm-hmm. This is season 13. Episode 1, Doctor Who, Flux, Chapter 1, The Halloween Apocalypse. Lots of names. And uh, this is, for those who don't know, this is a six-episode season that is a six-part story. And if you didn't understand that going in, you certainly understood it coming out. Um, That was the thing that struck me the most about this. Is I was unclear going in when they announced that this was going to be one story. I thought... Well, you know, they said the trial of a Time Lord was one story, but you know what it was? It was kind of four stories um, with some connective tissue. And, you know, the key to time wasn't really one story. It was interlinked series of stories. And it, I guess it remains to be seen if how different every episode of this season will be, but definitely felt throughout like a show that was happy to introduce lots of characters and mysteries knowing full well it had five more episodes to resolve it <laughs> and yeah you know instead of the whole like uh, well oh this is feeling like a two two-parter i got about 15 minutes in and i thought oh this is this is a six episode uh miniseries isn't it they're gonna they're gonna set up everything now and wait for it to play out over the course of the whole season yeah, I mean, it certainly felt quite different to Doctor Who that we've had for a long time. Mm-hmm. And and I was just kind of, I, I knew going in that it, what it was, but yeah, there was a certain surprise at seeing that it was like, and now we're in 1821, mm-hmm. and now we're in, you know, whatever. Um, and, and, oh, we've got uh, all these uh previous references to things i had completely forgotten what the division was ah uh, i remembered I, that the division is is the like t- time lord uh time lord agency that the doctor uh worked for before they wiped the doctor's mind and regenerate yes. force regenerated the doctor into presumably william hartnell um and and, and, and so yeah, it's that she clearly she's hunting down traces of that past that she found out she has and and uh, I think, as as I would call myself an avid viewer of Doctor Who, it would have been mildly helpful mm. if there had been a line in there yeah. just reminding us of uh, some of the things. But yes, so the it it was it was it was a little bit too much, I guess. Uh, but it, I, I enjoyed the ride. It was yeah. I thought I, I thought it was a very fun ride. Um, and and we should we should go into it because there is so much, at least to touch on. Uh, again, part one of six, not a lot of it gets resolved, but a lot is introduced. But something you said there, you know, I want to, I kind of want to start there, which is uh, I realize a bigger picture than an episode review. We always say we can't really judge until part two. Well, we can't really. We would have no episodes this season because it's we would have to wait until the end of episode six. Um, but I wanted to ask you, as a longtime Doctor Who fan, when you look at an episode like this, 
What do you think about the idea that just as Doctor Who has changed over the years, as television has changed and, you know, started off as a black and white 25 minute long serial and evolved sort of with the times. And when it came back in 2005, it was more like just an hour long standalone TV show. We live in an era of um, highly serialized seasons of television And it sure feels like what we're going to get from this season of Doctor Who is what they promised, which is really one story told over six episodes. Is this what Doctor Who should be now for this moment? Because this, as much as I like a good standalone episode and I would miss them if they went away, I watched this episode and I thought, oh, Doctor Who, this is like Doctor Who if it was being made today, which it. It, it is, literally. This is today's episode. Yeah, I mean, um, we were kind of talking about this before, and I brought up Loki uh, as a right. sort of template show, because Loki was in some ways quite Doctor Who-like. Mm. Um, you know, he even had a quarry in it. And uh, I thought that that would be a good template for how you could do Doctor Who, especially if you're doing, like shorter seasons which seems to be what i mean for a variety of reasons they have a short season um i think is it it's this and three specials three specials yeah yeah um and so i don't know if this is born from the constraint of them knowing that they had like six proper episodes to do and saying well why don't we do one story or if it is just looking at like how television has completely changed um, since Doctor Who came back. And and yeah, I mean, uh, there's lots of shows now where they have these very serialized, you know, it's just, you know, a six hour movie or or however you want to look at it. Uh, and I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm all for it. What I wonder is like, we're seeing this play out and it's weird watching this season. And because they've announced, you know, Russell T. Davis is coming back. Right. And all throughout this, there's people kind of like already looking to the, what Doctor Who is going to be. In 2023. Next. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the, you know, I can see the big title card that says 2023. Mm. Uh, but is it, you know, is this going to be like a one-off? Is this them trying something new? And then it's going to get handed over to Bad Wolf and Russell T. Davis, who have done lots of shows, uh, you know, really well done. I mean, like the, the um, oh, I'm blanking on the name now, so you can edit this. I don't want to edit it, James. It's the Golden Compass. Uh, the that, Yes, yep. exactly. That series. Um, uh, sure. And... Sure. So your question, I'm, your question is sort of like, well, so Chris Chibnall does this thing that sort of feels like modern television, but does it mean anything if there's a new production crew that will decide one way or another what it is, or is it a proof of concept for what yeah, that future and, show could be? And and it's things like you know we've got um, Dan uh, who's introduced as a new companion, and and like I'm thinking, is he going to stick around? Is, is is all this just like a 
everything is going to the the slate is going to be wiped clean mm. for the for the next uh, things. And it's like you shouldn't go into Doctor Who thinking things like that. You know, you no. Be I mean, the... I, ideally, they wouldn't announce that the you know right that the show is that the, the there's a whole changeover and that new people are coming in um, when you've got a whole series to spool out. Um, yeah, it's a weird um, decision, but I I don't know. I think Loki is a you mentioned that I think that's a good model. I think also the even Loki has episodes that you could say this is this is sort of the episode when this happened. Yes, um, but not all of them, but some of them. So there is this feeling. It's it's funny that we're talking about serialization. Doctor Who started as a serial, and we now are in an era where standalone episodes of TV shows kind of don't exist. They, they, you know, there are weekly releases and so there are standalone episodes except on Netflix where they just drop everything in a, in a binge. Um, but it is a different time and trying to navigate, like, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know whether this experiment will work or not, but it does feel very much like a game of, um, what if Dr. Who was made like, a modern streaming series where it was like you said you know kind of as much a six episode movie as it is a six episode tv season with standalone episodes and this episode probably because it's the introduction episode and the way it it is introduced even more so does not feel like an episode that episode where this happened like what is this episode it's we introduced everything that's what this episode was I, and I, I think it did, you know, it, it raised a number of things that you're curious about, you know, why? Of course. It's it's know. like the first few chapters of a book, right? It's you have to introduce all your characters and set the story in motion. But maybe next week we'll say, oh, well, that was the Centauran episode. Yeah. I mean, from from the trailer, it looks like there's lots of different time periods. Right. And more towards the sort of traditional, now's the one where we go back in time mm-hmm. to this era, or as you say, the Santarans next week. So we'll see. I mean, it could be, we've had, I I don't want to say this, but we've had so many first parts of Doctor Who s- stories uh, over the last, whatever, 10 years that are really good. Yes. And then the second part is not quite as good. But I, I would like to see, I want to see how it goes. And I guess that's, you know, that just shows it's successful. All right. uh, Let's talk about what happens in this episode. There is so much, but we'll try to blow through it. It starts in the middle of the action as the Doctor and Yaz, which I thought was kind of funny, except for the fact that it's characters that continue. Um, I thought it would be a funny way to start it, which is you're at the end of this adventure where they're suspended upside down. And the the villain basically says, uh, you're going to drop it to the acid. And if not, our, my kill discs will will destroy you. And it doesn't really matter because um, the, the this planet's going to get eaten by its star and like you can't escape. And of course, they we know they are going to escape. And they do they do it in a particularly exciting way where they're flying around on the little thing while they're being shot at. And then it breaks in twos and then it's like a Harry Potter, like they're on a broomstick or something for a little while. And um, and it's all very uh, exciting. We don't know who the villain is, but because we haven't met them yet, although that character then uh, continues throughout the the episode and the season, it sounds like. Um and and we get a lot of uh, banter. This is also the sort of Yaz and the Doctor have been carrying on now that Ryan and Graham are gone and they are continuing to have adventures. And there's that funny line where the Doctor admits that it's partially my fault, which, yes, is like, what do you mean it's entirely your fault? Which, of course, it is. 
Yeah, I mean, I was kind of expecting that opening and then a sort of 48 hours early yeah. caption. Yeah, but or, it wasn't. Or, or just to resolve it and then they tumble into their next adventure and we don't see that. But neither of those things happened. Um, throw out, there's a mention in Nitro 9. I just thought yes, I, I like that. Or, or the maybe I was Scottish when I set up mm-hmm. the handcuffs and yep. things like that. Um, and then uh, Yaz and the Doctor both fall into bed, which I am sure is going to uh, create a number of stories. Oh, yes, with handcuffs. Yes. Um, Liverpool, 1820. And this is a hmm, Doctor Who. What it's, it's a Doctor Who thing. You could do that. Um, although I, I have to admit, I didn't get a lot out of the scene. Maybe you can help me here because what I wrote down is men with hats argue about the future being cataclysmic. That's what I got out of Liverpool, 1820. So the, I have to admit this was looked up uh, afterwards. I did not have this knowledge, but Joseph Williamson, the person who was madly digging tunnels, is a real person who apparently did exactly this in Liverpool in 1821, built all these tunnels and nobody knows why. Um, you know, it, he was talking about putting the soldiers and the poor to work and creating jobs. He didn't seem a particularly nice person, but he had a... You know, in this, he certainly seemed to have knowledge of some cataclysmic events. I am sure those tunnels are going to be uh, oh, yes. useful later. It's Chekhov's, uh, Chekhov's, it's Chekhov's tunnels. Chekhov's tunnels. <laughs> um, but yes, he is a real person. So if you didn't know that, uh, it kind of, you might think this is a bit strange. Well, it, it was a bit strange. It, it is because it's really just just that and nothing more. And we'll be, we'll be back there later. And, and it just isn't uh, connected to the rest of this episode. 201 years later in Liverpool at the museum of Liverpool, a fellow named Dan uh, played by John Bishop, new cast member is leading a tour. He's told by uh, a woman, uh, stop pretending to be a guide. And they're going to go out for drinks for on, on Halloween night. Um, and, uh, that's Diane, I guess is her name. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so we meet Dan who, um, who we then see a little bit later is working at a food bank. And then a woman at the food bank suggests that he take some soup home himself. And he sort of says, no, I don't need that. But, um, he goes home to find that his cupboards are bare and his refrigerator is empty. Um, I wrote down his cupboards are comically bare. Not that <laughs> food insecurity is funny, because it's not, but that his refrigerator looks as if it's never had anything in it. It's spotless, as opposed to what I think somebody who is having food problems, they'd probably have little bits of like mustard and like a, a mostly empty jar of something where it was sort of like the detritus of, but nothing yeah. edible. And his and his cupboard is literally three pieces of spaghetti laying yes. on the cupboard with nothing else around. That that's so you know that that was the cupboard where the spaghetti used. to Yes, live. it used to. It was. Uh, yeah, it was just. It was. Uh, I get the shorthand, but it was like not realistic at all. It I was mean, like he, it, he doesn't eat. He, he's like. I think they were they were sort of like quite laboring the point that he's a good guy. You know, he not only well, he's doing strange unauthorized museum tours, mm. um, but he he works in a food bank and won't even uh, take anything for himself. So yeah. you know, clearly he does not deserve all the things that are about to happen to him. And he says to himself, you, you know, you should you should have taken the soup. <laughs> which yeah. is which and, he, is, and he said, Who likes soup? I like soup. Mm-hmm. I think soup can be very nice. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he didn't I'm take it. Soup. Um, we'll get back to Dan in a second, but I want to back up to um, 
a psychic connection is activated with the doctor while she's in the TARDIS. Um, she sees two women in armor coming to check a prisoner who's been imprisoned since the dawn of the universe, prisoner swarm. Um, the one woman says to the other now, cause she's sort of reading her the ropes, um, showing her the ropes, I guess, uh, don't engage, but then she promptly engages with the yeah. prisoner. Um, there is a containment chamber malfunction. The prisoner consumes the woman and grows shards out of his body and seems to uh, get younger and healthier. Uh, he consumes the other guard as well and uh, then says to the doctor, because remember, this is a psychic connection, trick or treat, doctor. And I, I wrote, yeah, I wrote down in my notes, spiky Voldemort says trick or treat. Yes. And and I, then I, back at the TARDIS, the TARDIS is leaking, which is something bad, but the doctor uh, doesn't want to talk about it with Yaz, which is a, a kind of a recurring thing. And she's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. When it is most definitely not fine. And, and those, uh, the guards, uh, there was a line about... Uh, something about admiral's service to the division or, or something. There was some mention of the division. Ah, I didn't, I didn't I, hear And that. so they are um, working for the, the shadowy Gallifreyan organization that right. the Doctor also worked for. Yeah. So, you know, and, that, the, the, and that's why this guy later in the episode, the, the swarm says, oh, you don't remember me. Um, I, I, I did a, I think he might have even said, I did a good job of erasing your memories. I think they said they did oh, a okay. good but job. It, all right, if you say so. I, I, I didn't know. I only you've seen it more than me. You, you watched it twice, and I've only watched it once. Um, but clearly, yes, that's all connected. Um, that the that this villain yes. is is essentially like the master in that this villain is a an ongoing enemy of the Doctor, who's they've they've uh, they've jousted over time and space for a very long time. But all of this happened before the Doctor's memory was wiped, so she has no memory of this guy. And and this person, uh, I mean, we'll come to the the flux later, but the the absorbing seems to be very similar to the way that that works with mm-hmm. the flux as well. So they're, yeah, yeah, it's, it's all the, the, connected. It's all connected in unknown in unknown ways. Um, the uh, so Dan, when he's back at his house, a, a, a guy with a uh, an electro axe basically chops down his door. And this is the bad guy. This is, uh, I had to look it up in the credits, Carvinista, who is the, uh, the, this guy who, uh, with his hood down, we reveal is a dog man, a fluffy dog man. Yes, a, a sort of cut price Chewbacca. Yeah, a little uh, bit. More doggy who, who than lo- Chewbacca. Chewbacca's a little more berry. Carvinista is a little more like a, like a dog. He does do a Jedi hand wave at one point. He does. Yes, he is. He is a, a Chewbacca. And and what's interesting is so and it does it doesn't all hold together, right? Because he's portrayed as a villain at the beginning, and then the whole episode is trying to somewhat rehab him into a reluctant ally. Where, but like he's straight up just trying to kill the Doctor. And I guess what they're trying to do is say these. So so these people, uh, the dog people. Uh, where they have a name, the Lupari, that's their name, his people, they are bonded. It's a man's best friend thing, right? They are bonded with humanity and it's their job to save humanity. And he's saving Dan because he got there a little early because the earth is about to be destroyed. It's very Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Um, and and that that is a, you can see the Douglas Adams in, in influence in all of this. But the Lupari are coming and, um, but they're grumpy 
and unpleasant. So just because they're trying to save people doesn't mean they're not unpleasant. And I guess that's what we're supposed to get out of Carvinista, even though he's tried to kill the doctor and Yaz and we saw it. He's not that, I mean, he's bad, but he's more grumpy that she's following him and he wants to get rid of her. than he is uh, a terrible villain because he is trying to save Dan and is just very angry. Although then again, when they, they take Dan and put him in the TARDIS, he tries to shoot all of them because he's supposed to be the one who saves Dan. I guess it's instinct. I don't know. I, dog I also don't understand why he was trying to kill Yaz, given that she is under the protection of his people. Of some other uh, yeah, dog it, Lupari. It isn't like some other uh, Lupari going to be really annoyed if he drops her Yeah, I guess I, I guess that's their problem. Um, I don't know. Also, there was a joke in here that I really liked that I wrote down, which is um, he, he insults, Dan insults uh, uh, Carvinista, and uh, Carvinista says something about, you know, all, me and my forebears. And Dan's yes. response is, you don't look anything like forebears. I laughed. I'm sorry. I, I, I did too. He's not I, a I mean, bear. He's a dog. Come on. It is a weird thing because uh, John Bishop is a, a stand-up comedian in the long line of uh, stand-up comedian companions uh, to the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Or at least I can think of a few. Um and it is strange because, you know, he is an actor and he's been in things like Skins or whatever, but primarily to me, I know him as doing stand-up comedy. Mm. So they had to give him some funny lines. Yeah. Um, and uh, then the Doctor and Yaz get there and Dan's gone, but they, they have evidence of uh, that that the Kavanista has been there, Carvinista. And uh, and there's a computer and they're like, she's scanning and she uses, you know, magic uh, screwdriver things to say that there's seven billion ships coming this way. Lupari ships, uh, she thinks is an invasion. We find out later it's actually kind of a rescue fleet. And then the computer is, uh, they realize is not Dan's. It's, it must be Carvinista's computer and it's a trap. I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It happens really fast though. And then they run out and the the house shrinks down to tiny size, which I thought was interesting because they say later that it was compressed and that is a master thing. And so I feel like they're laying some foundations here for connections to the master as well. Yes, I did wonder that. I mean, I think that's just your automatic thing if you shrink something down, but they know that as well. And they said compressed, right? And compression is the key word to tie it to the master, I think. Although I did really enjoy the scene later where they toss Dan his house and say, there's your house. Yes. I mean, it was nice that they kept it. They kept it, yeah. Um, Maybe they can expand it later. You put it in water, it expands. Something like that. Cut to the Arctic Circle. Okay. Yes. More things. Although I will point out again, it looks a little warmer than it would look on October 31st at the Arctic Circle. I did think that that house didn't look insulated enough for living in the Arctic Circle, but, you know, I'm not an expert in these things. I had to look up on the map exactly where the Arctic Circle uh, covered. There's alien shenanigans going on here. Um, I was reminded of this because there's that episode a couple couple years ago called It Takes You Away, which is set in the winter in Norway, and there's also no snow anywhere. And I thought, no, like, no, that can't be. That doesn't make sense that uh, they have a a tenuous idea of... um, seasons i think yeah just put it down to climate change yeah okay um so anyway it's a couple they're it's a regular domestic life we have a scene where it's like where are the peppers and they're in the fridge and it's like no and then they are in the fridge and then an alarm goes off and there is this mysterious sort of dialogue of they promised this would never happen well except in the gravest of emergencies um and uh the woman smashes it and says we'll just say we didn't receive the warning from this little glowing thing and i think later i read this to be very much like prisoner of the jadoon 
um, mm. given the revelation that happens later about the woman and that she's actually kind of in hiding in a different identity, that this is also probably related to the division, that these people are essentially living lives sort of uh, like normal human beings, but they're actually in hiding. Um, but uh, this, that's all we get in this scene. Later, what, what happens is that the guy, uh, the swarm appears, kills the the husband, and the wife doesn't die and instead says, why am I thinking thank you? Which is a great moment of like, whoa, that's weird. And then we, it looks like she is also going to be dissolved by sw- the swarm, but isn't. Instead, just part of her is dissolved, revealing that she is like him and he calls her sister. Uh, interesting. Like another little interesting moment that is we're just going to have to deal with it later. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, with that scene with the the little alarm thing that went off, and then you smash it, and a little bit continues to go yes. off. Uh, but I was thinking, you know, are they sleeper agents or something like mm. that? It reminded me of the start of Black Widow. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that was what I was thinking too. And then, then when the reveal happens that the that it's actually the swarm sister, basically, probably made to think she's human. As a way yeah. to get her out of, I mean, either she's a sleeper agent for the swarm or she's been sort of, uh, instead of locked up, she's been kind of imprisoned as a human. But either way, it, it reminded me of Prisoner of the Jadoon and that that was really what they were going for. And I did kind of like the idea, though, that you get the call that says it's time for you to be activated. And you're like, nah, nah. let's just have dinner. <laughs> Let, nah, yeah, we, we just refuse the, the call. Yeah. Sure. Who cares? Um. Then we get a scene that's straight out of uh, of Blink. Very much, I do Which blink. is fitting given what happens after this. But uh, it's straight out of Blink, which is that the Doctor and Yaz are on the street and a woman runs up to them and says, it's you. And they're like, I don't remember you. And she says, well, I'm Claire. We haven't met yet. We met in the past. I'm just taking the long way home. And I thought, oh, boy. She's she's been back in time and is now living her life forward to get back where she started. Um, but uh, they're like, well, we got to go. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought like that. I know the doctor's got things on our mind, but she seemed completely uninterested by this. I would have asked at least a couple of questions. It might ha- happen like all the time. But yeah, you would expect that there'd be some sort of brief question of did I leave you somewhere um, but also maybe there's just a, you know, you said we haven't met yet. I spoilers. I need to not yeah, think about I'd have said that. Why don't you come into the TARDIS and yeah. we can have a cup of tea? Yeah. And talk I think, over what's happened. I think so. Um, uh, they go inside and in a very nice moment, the TARDIS door has moved somewhere else. And they say, that's not right. I like that later. The TARDIS door is like in the floor and then there's actually a bunch of doors. And I thought that was really fun and weird and not something that, that I think we've seen before. So I like that. Yeah, the TARDIS is definitely having problems, uh, mm. weird oil slick yeah. things. and Leaking uh, and groaning and having the door move around and having multiple doors. And I mean, if I was being weird. hit by a hammer that much, I yeah, think I'd really. be upset too. But. Uh, we do see that Yaz and the Doctor are a well-oiled team. We get some time with them here where you can see that they have been doing this for a while now and having their own adventures since Ryan and Graham left and that they've... Uh, but but uh, things are weird, and then d- the doctor finally says, "Nothing's as it should be. There is too much out of the ordinary going on." I'll say. I, I, I would say the fa- <laughs> my favorite thing of the episode is basically we see sort of Yaz, uh, some time on 
having become, well, in some ways, the responsible adult, mm-hmm. um, but, but basically stepping up and, and seeming uh, seeming way more, or at least being allowed to be way more capable. You know, she seemed like that when we first saw her, and, but in this, you know, she's running around, she's deactivating things, she's, yeah. you know, she she's kind of, I don't want to say doing a Clara, but you know, I had that. Oh, thought. it's a really good oh. companion who is learning sort of in the dr- doctor training program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a, a doctor in training. Yeah, um, that's 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 exactly right. I think um, um, we get a cutaway, by the way, to Claire, and this is the the moment where it pays off. That it sounds sort of like uh, something out of Blink because then she's uh, she's going down the hall and or going down the street, and there's a weeping angel, and there's a whole. We get a replay of that thing where. Um, you know, she's trying to get into the house and unlock the door and she drops the keys and the weeping angel keeps getting closer. And then she tries to close the door and it doesn't seem to work. It seems like uh, she's gotten sent away by the weeping angel again. And it's not anything we haven't seen before, but it's kind of a nice reminder that if the weeping angels are going to play into this at all, this is like playing the hits and also saying, remember the weeping angels and how they work? Well, now you know, and we'll be back to this in a little bit. But I thought I thought it was well well shot, well done. And um, as somebody who has, um, I, I have a friend in London who I've stayed with a few times, and they give me a spare set of keys so I can get in, get in and out of their door. And I, I will tell you, as she was trying to get into this door, all I could say was, "Wow." that's exactly as hard as it is to get into Simon's house. <laughs> you got the key and you put it in the lock and it still doesn't quite work right. And you got to move it around and it's bad to be in that. If I look, I would have died if a, a weeping angel had tried to um, get me when I was trying to get into his house too. It's very you're, complicated. You're not dead. You're just back in back time. Back in time. Yes. I would be I mean, it in does 1480. Seem that, like she should have said, oh no, not again or something like that. Because clearly she has been down this road. Yeah. She knows how weeping angels work. Yeah. And for some reason, they just don't want her getting uh, into the present day. But another storyline that we'll come back to. Yeah. Maybe she, maybe Claire is actually the answer to the, the you know, the solution to the problem, but has yeah. to keep coming back through um, over and over again in order to get back to the present day. I don't know. Cut to... <laughs> <laughs> Another new member of the Observation cast. Outpost Rose, in which mm. a character named Vinder is filing a report, nothing to observe, just like the last 28,323 times or whatever it was that I have filed a report. And also, I hate you guys because uh, it's beautiful here, but uh, it's boring and nothing happens. And then, of course, as soon as he finishes recording that message and sending it off, a planet is destroyed. There's an urgent warning. Something terrible is going on. Um, and eventually what happens when we go back to Vinder is he uh, he sees more planets being destroyed and he gets shot off in a an escape pod, basically. So um, more to come from Vinder again I mean, later. Do you call your observation post Rose in Doctor Who? Is Is it just a nod? Is this tying into something? I don't know. I mean, I can't see Billy Piper coming back, but who knows? Mm, I mean, certainly Doctor Who of the last couple of seasons has been a lot more keen on just sort of doing deep dives into Doctor Who stuff. So maybe. I, I, uh, I don't see Billy Piper coming back until she comes back with David Tennant as the, you know, the two, as the pair who have aged, who are from the beach. Yes. 
I think that's probably when we would see Billy Piper again if we if we but, see but, her. You know, it, it's maybe it's just like naming computers. Somebody has gone down a list of maybe. companions and named all the observation posts. Or the doctor, in fact. Or flowers, James. It could also be flowers. Yeah, sometimes a rose is just a rose. Mm, and sometimes it's uh it's not uh anyway so uh more more on vendor later um this is when we get cu- we cut back to the arctic circle and the, the the she says thank you and becomes a sister so uh Car- carvanista is communicating to what the doctor thinks is an invasion fleet um and the doctor has arrived and uh she says the invasion is off which she doesn't understand because we're about to discover that it's not an invasion and she drops that tell me everything you know about the division you're the only person i can find alive who ever worked with the division um and she's trying to track down facts about her previous life and that's why she's been um without explaining herself to nat to yaz chasing carvinista around all this time and hounding carvinista which is why he's um, resisting her as he has. But it turns out, yes, the Lupari are the guardians of humanity. They have a one-to-one bond with individual humans and they have to save them. And uh, and Carvanista is Dan's. So the only reason Dan is involved in this storyline at all and is going to be a Doctor Who companion for this series is because Dan's uh, Lupari guardian worked with the Division. So it's really more about Carvanista than it is about Dan, I guess. I mean, uh, as rescue plans for the Earth go, one ship per person seems woefully inefficient. I, I know. I know. It's cute, though, right? It's the dogs I, I like, are coming to save us. You know, I like it. I like, you know, the mankind's best friend angle of it. And I also like the they have this plan to, like, uh, do a super Voltron with all their ships and right. build something. A habitat uh, for the humans after, the, after it's destroyed. Which is nice. Destroyed. Uh, which we will come back to. Right. So we see the we see the flux, uh, which is described as a hurricane ripping through the structure of the universe. Um, there is a moment where Yaz and Dan enter where the doctor is talking to Carvanista, uh, where it's like, we I need to protect my person. And he says, we don't want your protection. And Yaz looks at him. And again, a good line that I enjoyed is, Dan, we were supposed to be sneaking in. <laughs> He's yelling. Yeah. And at some point in this, we got there was the, the there was the line about "Nice to meet you, Dan. Run for your life." Which oh is yes, the doctor exactly says that. Exactly the ninth Doctor and Rose. Yep, exactly. Run for your life. No, that was good. That was a nice. That was a nice callback. That's the fitting thing for the doctor to say when the doctor meets anybody. Um, so Dan so, was entirely unimpressed by the TARDIS. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's uh, he says uh, I think it's bigger on the inside. Yeah, I mean obviously he said I had a mate who had one of these and it was a bit bigger. <laughs> Uh, we seem to have a surplus of doors is the line also there's many many doors and they throw him his house here's your house cut to (laughs) 30 trillion light years away there are centaurans and a centaurin gets a call from another centaurin and and insults him and says he looks tired and bad and old it's like okay whatever and he says but i have great news the flux is imminent and this will lead to war and chaos and devastation i find myself excited which i think is supposed to read that the centaurans have something to do with it but i think is not accurate and they're just really excited because it means that there's going to be war and bloodshed and chaos and centaurans like that but we'll see it it didn't seem much like a war like there were planets being consumed yeah it didn't seem to be much it's opportunities true. There, it's true and but... yet somehow they think that this is going to be the start of a war that they can uh 
they're going to be involved. And I believe one of those Suntarans was Dan Starkey. Yeah. Who's- contractually obliged to play some tarns. Yeah, I think I think what they've done is they they've done obviously it's a sort of different design for the Centauran. It's a little bit less uh plasticky. Um and I I think is the guy on the radio the you know on the hologram Dan Starkey? I think he was. Yes. Yeah, I think this is one of those handoffs too where they've got another actor who's going to be playing the primary Centauran in this story, but they also had Dan Starkey there, so there's this sort of like yes, also Dan Starkey who you remember being every Centauran from the last, you know, the modern series of Doctor Who basically. Um but more Centaurans to come next week in fact. Cut to at the edge of the solar system. They uh, see the flux, the cloister bell on the TARDIS rings. That's a bad sign. That means that there's a, a cataclysmic danger ahead. Um, and th- this is where we get that moment where, again, the swarm appears in the doctor's head and says, uh, they, were so, so they, they were so efficient, I guess. Um, there's not a tiny quarter of you that remembers you and I dancing across space and time, locked in combat, and now we get to do it once more. Our final fight has begun. Um, cut to Diane from the museum is called inside a house where the spooky sister is. Um, and then back to Carbonista, who is told to put their ships in a specific formation. How do we save the earth from the flux? The answer is, I guess, make a wall. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's sure. It's, it's really good that those ships just fit exactly around the earth like that yeah but i thought um, they were going to make like a shield around the earth but they just kind of make a wall between the flux and the earth i guess yeah the the thing that bothered me about this and i don't know if this would bother me or not is the daughter seemed quite um not that distressed about the entire universe being destroyed yeah yeah i mean it's so long as we save the earth that's okay because you know the earth is indeed the center of the galaxy yeah, i really thought the doctor was going to go like back in time and that, that, that was i wrote that down they've got a time machine why not go back to before the flux was unleashed and stop the unleashing that exactly well i think the, maybe the answer is we'll get there yeah i know but I know. it, it did but, seem it did seem like the doctor was just sort of dealing with and, and she says at one point like well I've, i think this is the last line in the episode it's like well i've always wondered what the end of the universe would feel like um, but yeah, she seems like, uh, well, you know, it's going to eat the whole solar system, but we'll save the earth. And, and, and then what, I guess the dog people will pick up their people and they'll go somewhere else. I don't know. I I don't know. She, she hits the TARDIS panel and shoots out a beam of the time vortex to see if that will stop the flux. It doesn't, it's pursuing them. And then, yeah, it, it basically is coming for them as the doctor says, oh, I guess this is the end. And, and uh, all the various doors open up. Yes, all the various doors open up and the camera goes out one of the doors and shows that the flux is coming for the TARDIS. And that is your cliffhanger. But, you know, there's five episodes to go, so it's probably not the end. No, I suspect not. But, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I think it was a good episode. I'm kind of like, I've, I've watched it twice. And I think it it made more sense the second time round because I kind of like knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- certainly on first viewing, if I had come to that like as a, as a slightly more casual Doctor Who viewer, I think I would have been a bit confused. 
Um, well, some of some of it is intentional, right? It is it yeah, is yeah. laying lots of mysteries. It wants you to be a little confused. I think what I thought was if we're going to build Doctor Who a little like a modern TV show, maybe this will all work better when you can watch it all in one go. Because mm-hmm. I feel like after this episode, you kind of want people to watch a second episode immediately to pick up on everything that's laying down, but that's not how the broadcast structure or uh, schedule is structured. So instead we have to wait a little bit, but you know, I thought, I thought it was not, I didn't think most of it was confusing. Um, just incomplete, like, like that there's some stuff that you have no idea why that's important. Like the men in hats in Liverpool in 1820. And I'm sure we'll get there. Like all, all of this stuff, the sister, the swarm, Vinder, like all of these things that that are just, you know, like come back and, next week because we'll, we're you know we we aren't ready to explain that to you yet. And Diane as well. And Diane, like she clearly f- factors into this, and yeah. Uh, and what is Vinder going to do? Uh, he's hopefully going to join the TARDIS crew as well. I don't yeah, know he's rocketing out in his in his escape pod. Definitely the coolest person that they introduced in the episode. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, I wonder what did he do to get that job of being stuck in the middle? Right, of and who is he working for too? Yes, I mean, is he a division operative too? I don't know. I think it's um, got to be that in the end, this is all, this is all actually providing either more information or, um, or even some resolution about the Doctor's history that was revealed last year. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean the, the whole timeless child yeah. stuff, which uh, wasn't explicitly mentioned, other than the the references to the division. But um, that's you know that's how that un unravels is that they start reminding us of those things over the course of the season. The fact that that it's uh, not only the shrinking of the house reminds me of the master, but the fact that we very much have the idea that that the swarm is essentially the doctor's arch nemesis from bef- the before time. Yes. I, I would like uh, the swarm and the master to meet up and like try and, uh, well, you know, she was my nemesis first, you know? Well, is um, it even possible that the master is, if we're, if you're Chris Chibnall and you're changing everybody's history, is it in, at all possible that the master is just an aspect of, or related to, or brother of the swarm? Yeah, I mean, that, that didn't is. get locked away, but doesn't realize that their battle with the Doctor goes back way before just the Doctor and the Master. It, it does seem too similar a mm-hmm. storyline to not be connected, right? And I did wonder that. Um, and we have seen the Master looking you know, variously de- disfigured in in the past as right. well, right? Um, so I I I have some thoughts that that's one of the directions that. Will be, will be going to. It may not be the resolution of flux, but it may be that the seeds that are planted across these six episodes that will lead to some resolution in the three specials. Because I have a hard time believing Chris Chibnall is going to not resolve his big Doctor-centric storyline in his era with Jodie Whittaker. Like we're going to get some answers, and that. Chris Chibnall is probably going to place the doctor in a situation where either she remembers her past or is 
knows all she needs to know about her past before heading on and there being a new doctor and a new showrunner and all of that. It feels like, you know, we may not get it in flux, but it feels like we'll we'll at least be pointed in that direction and then get it next year in in some specials. In conspiracy theory corner, oh, yes. if you take the swarm, uh, you can make the word master out of that, but then you've got an H and a W left over at the end. So I don't know what you do with that. Mm. But it just if if we find out that swarm is actually you know there's a slightly longer name and that's an anagram of i am really the master <laughs> that's right actually you know, that, the master <laughs> that would be a very doctor who mm-hmm. kind of uh, well the swarm thing. certainly seems master-esque and 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 that surely can't be a a, a coincidence but yeah. Who knows? I do love that idea, though. I think this is exactly Chip, Chris Chibnall saying, this is why it's fun that I blew open the history of the Doctor is because I can do stuff like this and have this enormous uh, enemy that was finally caught and put away who the Doctor doesn't know, but they know the Doctor. And and that's actually a really amazing thing, too, where she's trying to find out who she is and has been chasing this poor dog person all over the galaxy, trying to get him to talk <laughs> about, you know, violate his NDA, essentially, with the Division. But the arch nemesis who's destroying planets, he knows all about it, right? Like, he's got all the information, just like the Master did last season. Uh, he's got all the information about her past because he fought her through it. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so we shall see. I think yeah. it's you know, otherwise all... it's all levitating. It's all just up in the air again, like it is for any multi-part story, right? Like, how do I judge yeah. this? It was exciting. It looked great. I, I thought yeah. it, I thought it looked good. That opening scene looks really weird and cool. And I thought they spent a lot of money on it. I, I mean, I was very impressed. I think the show looks great. Sounds great. Um, and was appropriately, I don't know, Quirky, uh, Douglas Adams, you know, silly at times while also having this big, you know, overarching plot and asking a lot of questions that it doesn't care that we don't have the answers to. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So uh, we we will we will look back on this episode once we start to get more pieces. Yes, I think. Um, And it's hard to judge. You know, this is like it's this is not like the first part of a two part. No, we've got a sixth. So we have, you know, very little to go on to know whether this is a, a great uh, run or not. Right. But it, it was, yeah, it was, it, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, as always with time machine, with when you've got a time machine, I do say, just go back and Why don't you use the time machine? Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't just travel in space. It yeah. is also a time I, machine. I think she'll, she'll probably get there. Like they got five more episodes for well, we have to go back and look at the tunnels or whatever. Exactly right. We have to go to 1820 and, and we have to figure out what's going on with the Weeping Angel and poor Claire and all of that stuff is still to come. All right. Well, um, I will be back next week with another uh, Doctor Who flashcast with another willing participant or their um, Lupari caretaker. One or the other. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. But uh, James Thompson, thank you for being here for the season premiere. Thank you. I, I was not forced to walk into a house and uh, record a podcast. No, or a very small house. Is that what tiny houses are? When you hear about tiny houses, is it that somebody takes a, a compressor thing and, and takes a big house and just shrinks it? Th- that makes more sense than anything. All right. Okay. Well, here's your house. Doctor Who Flashcast. 
Only in the combo.